0: Hi, and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Hayworth, and in each episode, I will discuss and explore the key challenges facing family businesses today. As a family business advisor, I'm passionate about helping families to overcome the complex and unique challenges that come from being in business together. So if what I cover in the show resonates with you, I'm here to help and I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me at fanbizpodcast.com forward slash workwithruss. You can also sign up to the newsletter there and receive the latest blogs, podcasts and videos directly in your inbox. I would like to thank my friends at the Institute for Family Business for their continuing support for what I'm doing with this show. The IFB is a unique community of family businesses with common challenges, interests, values and goals. To find out more about their work, visit ifb.org.uk. Let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Family Business Podcast. We are continuing our look at trusts this week. And you may have heard last week's episode with Matt Braithwaite. And I am really pleased to be joined this week by Cindy Radu. Firstly, Cindy, hi, and welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Now, you are an independent family wealth legacy advisor. And so you come across trusts in your work, which is why we're obviously having a chat with you about it today. Before we get into the Detail of the episode. Perhaps you could give the audience a bit of your background and how you came to be doing what you're doing today.
1: I started out as actually a chartered accountant and really didn't enjoy that career very much. Ended up working in a, a law firm as their controller and got very interested in law and particularly in tax law just from my interactions with the partners and decided to go back to law school. And when I was in law school, I was invited to be the research student for one of the professors on a book called Taxation and Estate Planning in Canada. And that really got me focused on working primarily with family businesses and trusts in this whole area of estate planning and found it really quite fascinating and decided that when I graduated from law school, that was what I was going to do. I was going to work primarily in the areas of trust and taxation which I did. I had that opportunity to do that. And over time, what I found was I was getting very disillusioned with the practice in that I felt like I was what I call doing structures to families. I often worked just with the dad, sometimes with mom and dad, I would put these trusts in place these complicated reporting letters that were full of all kinds of legalese and case studies and administrative technical bulletins and that sort of thing. And never really had a great comfort level that people actually understood what they walked out of the door with. And then it would be on to the next one and then on to the next one and so on. So I kind of call that half of my career BC before child.
0: Uh And (laughs) after I
1: had my daughter, Lucy, in 2003, I came back into the workforce in a very different mindset and didn't want to go back into a professional services firm environment. And was fortunate to work with one of the large financial institutions at the time that had involvement with an organization in Canada that's now known as the Family Enterprise Exchange. At the time it was something it was named something different. But I was invited to take training course back then, so it would have been around 2004 or five on training the trainers in how to work very differently with families. So the kind of work that you do, the kind of work that, that I do. And and fortunately that many, many people around the world uh, are starting to offer as a way to focus on a client centric type of service offering. And that really started me on a path of, of taking all this really fantastic technical knowledge that I had to working differently, wanting to work differently with families, And somewhere along the way there, I was asked to actually start a trust company. So I I did that. I started a a trust company, got that up and running and ran the trust company for a number of years. So this theme of of trusts has continued to weave through both the BC phase of my career and and the after after child phase of of my career. So I understand the power of trusts. I certainly understand them from from tax perspective. You know what the asserted goals are, and I think you would have talked about that with Matt of trusts. What some of those common goals typically are of, of putting trusts in place, but I see way more opportunity with trusts uh, and this blending of my technical background, a deep understanding of trusts, and this really rich type of work that I get to do with families now has really shifted my perspective on how to integrate trusts as part of the governance structure in families.
0: For those that may have missed the episode with Matt last week, I would suggest going back and, and checking that out. You can either do it before or after this episode, that, that they are interchangeable. It's not not going to be one before the other. But in summary, that the way I kind of summarised or very overly simplified trusts with Matt was they're a bit like a box that somebody puts something in for the benefit of someone else and then people are appointed to look after whatever's in that box for those beneficiaries and I know it's much more complicated than that and there's lots of other different aspects to to take into account but when we're talking about trust governance what what do we actually mean by that? What how could you kind of define that?
1: Well, but the trust governance piece for me takes it takes it right back to this idea of what is the actual purpose of the trust, which is not a conversation that technical advisors will typically have outside of the types of things that you would have talked about with Matt, which would have included things like control and asset protection, etc. And and so, really, having those conversations with, typically, again, the parents as to why why they want to have this trust in place beyond those reasons of control, and when when, when you have those sorts of discussions in the con this broader context of governance and governance, for me really focusing on developing great communication skills, building trust, learning how to have conversations together so that you can make good decisions to re- hopefully reduce conflict along the way, really as a forum to to educate and have, have difficult conversations in, in, in a safe way. And so to me, you know, again, family unity and really taking advantage of of the structure of a trust to cultivate that family legacy mentality and really wrap some structure around it.
0: Brilliant. And in terms of, say, an example of where you would see that in practice, again, I think something we covered with Matt, and we we did quite well, is trust is obviously a very complex area and you need to take advice around it. But what can often help is examples of where certain circumstances have arisen. And we can contextualize that around sort of real life examples.
1: Yeah, well, this isn't something that you can really pick up in in a book and and learn about. That said, there actually is. So what what I what I want to share with you is this idea that I have called a trust advisory council and we'll do that, as you say, in in the context of an example, because I agree, it's easier to get your head around things when you you contextualize it. But if you just indulge me for one minute, there's a a book called Family Trusts by Hartley Goldstone, Jay Hughes, and Keith Whitaker. And it's Family Trusts, A Guide for Beneficiaries, Trustees, Trust Protectors, and Trust Creators. And when I read that book, because I'm a bit of a trust nut, they talk about these different structures that you could incorporate into a trust like an office of the beneficiary and investment committees and distribution committees. And I thought, you know, great, I love the idea, but it seemed like a lot of extra layers of complexity for the vast majority of people who have family trusts. And so my mind started whirling around about how how I could take some of those concepts and apply them in a more a broader to a broader landscape of family trusts. Mm-hmm. And I conceived of an idea called uh, what I call a trust advisory committee, and it's an would be a non-fiduciary role that would sit between the trustees and the beneficiaries. Uh-huh. So if we could just kind of hold that concept as a trust advisory committee, yeah. um, then I can move into an example that will help to make that come to life. Perfect. All right. So, Once upon a time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's how all good stories start.
1: Once upon a time, I was invited into a partner's office, a tax partner's office to help determine who should be the trustee of a particular trust. And that's like asking how long is a piece of rope? It's it's one of those questions (laughs) that I need a little bit more information here. So as I found out a bit more about this particular situation, it was a divorce and through the divorce, uh, just prior to the divorce, the, the, the family business had been sold and the, ad, the assets completely liquidated and turned into a cash investment portfolios. And the, the the mom took a chunk of it and the dad took a chunk of it and we'll just call her chunk $20 million. Uh-huh. And, and she was very financially illiterate. She'd been an immigrant to Canada. The husband had always taken care of all the finances, et etc. And now she had this this 20 million. and again, for a bunch of reasons that we would have talked about with Matt, she decided she wanted to have a family trust in place. She didn't really understand what a trust was. and frankly most people, Don't. Mm -hmm. And she, she was older and she was starting to display some very early signs of dementia, but nothing particularly severe at that point. And so, in having the conversation around trustees, they were looking at potentially a corporate trustee. And as they found out more about the family, there were three adult children. And so the oldest, the oldest was a son married with two sons of his own, a daughter who is single with no children, and a younger son who was on his second marriage, his second wife had a daughter, and he had a child from her prior marriage. And and at the same time, we were doing wills and what we call powers of attorney and personal directives. So who would take care of the finances and who would take care of her health care? And I said, you know, it's really actually a great opportunity to start having some conversations around the wealth, what's there with the kids and incorporate that through a formalized structure in, in, the, in the trust, in the context of the trust where all the wealth was. And he said, okay, well, that sounds interesting. Let's have a conversation with, with, with the mom. And brought her in and, and, you know, I asked her, well, what do you really want to accomplish with the, the trust? And, you know, over a few conversations, it came out that she had, as, as I mentioned, she'd immigrated to Canada. And when she'd immigrated to Canada, she'd worked, or volunteered with an organization. And every time she talked about this organization that she'd volunteered with, her eyes lit up. And she would talk about, you know, charities that she would donate to in very, very modest amounts. And she so, you know, I kind of obviously latched on to that. And I said, so, so philanthropy is something that gets you very interested. And I said, you know, does that something that you want to encourage in your kids? And she said, oh, yeah, absolutely. So I said, well, that that is a possible purpose of your of your trust. And she said, oh, yeah, I'd love to be able to use the trust that way. The other thing that came up was financial literacy. So she one of the big reasons for the trust was she she did not feel comfortable having this amount of wealth and and didn't know how to manage it. And, you know, Russ, when I first started working with her, she's such a delightful woman. I went to her home and I sat down at at her computer. I went through her bank statements. I went through her credit card, everything. And I figured out her annual burn rate. So what she spends each year was somewhere in the neighborhood of about $25,000. And so now she's got $20 million sitting in the bank and you know really wants to understand and learn this but again we're you know early stages of, of dementia so so this idea of financial literacy was something that she was really interested in in, mm. in in using the trust in a way to 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 develop financial literacy for her kids who would ultimately be inheriting this money and and on both sides because she didn't get she was like 40 percent and dad was 60 percent, right and then the last thing was to, for her, that they live a good lifestyle, but not an extravagant lifestyle. Uh-huh. And, and, and so through having those conversations, I brought up this idea of a trust advisory council where, where she and one of her kids could be the trustees. And, and then I would sit in this non-fiduciary capacity between the trustees and the beneficiaries to provide that communication mechanism and really reinforce these purposes through the assets, through the financial assets, right, of the trust. Uh So we're starting to blend this idea of qualitative wealth with with quantitative wealth. Yeah. So I'm just going to pause there because I've talked quite a bit and you probably have some ideas in mind that you want to to ask questions about.
0: Yeah, I I think just... very sort of high level in terms of the purpose of a trust, I think it's quite easy to get confused about that. Because if you asked, say, a lawyer what the purpose of a trust was, they would probably list out the benefits and tax structures that are aligned to that. And they'd be right, that that is the purpose of the trust. But what we're talking about here is what does it actually exist for? what values do you want to have inherent within what the trust does? And I think that's a really clear example there of the importance of distinguishing language when we're talking about this. And also the importance of having almost uh, talking us into a job here, but having people involved in the process that are able to move away from the the transactional side of things and the legal structure side of things and look at it from the perspective of well, what is it actually here to do and how best can you achieve that?
1: Yeah, exactly, Russ. And it, it it's, it's very rewarding work because these, as I say, these trusts sit on, often just sit on a shelf and collect dust and they become a once a year sign here type of thing, right, where the accountant or the lawyer will put, a, or both, somebody will put a tax return in front of them to sign on this, and somebody will put a couple of trustee resolutions over here, and, and you know, whatever distributions are made are often made by promissory note, the, so they don't even, the, the beneficiaries don't actually even get the money or even often know that they've received money so it's it's a very disturbing actually kind of model when you look hmm. at it from the type of work that you and I you and I do yeah. and uh, a ton of opportunity to work very differently with families
0: yeah and i think as well that the the example that you've given obviously 20 million dollars is a is a lot of money and it can be quite daunting in my experience in, in a former life i used to work with lottery winners Mm -hmm. And where they'd won the jackpot on the national lottery. And one of the most difficult concepts is to, if you're not used to having that level of money, it might be wealth that's around you. But if it's contained in assets, you can't spend bricks and mortar. So it's not quite the same concept when it's cash and it's around you in that way. It can be quite daunting to think, well, I just don't want to get this wrong because it's so much, and my lifestyle historically has been relatively modest, ha- having that as a pressure is, is quite high. And so having the advisory council is a way to kind of buffer that pressure and, and educate and work alongside both the trustees and the beneficiaries in, in that regard.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the beneficiaries rarely know that they're beneficiaries. Right. These things are often not intentionally really secret, but, or they might have the lawyer might gather the family and just say, you know, you're beneficiaries of a trust. But there's often hesitancy to ask about the trust. And if you ask the parents, they don't really understand it either. So you'll get some kind of response that's, I'll just say, less than satisfying typically. And, you know, when you start layering, trusts with trust owned corporations alongside of wills alongside of shareholders agreements alongside of all these other documents it's bewildering Uh it's absolutely bewildering and to try and understand which one supersedes and and what actually happens during life and on death you know people can get really blindsided and and so you know to explore opportunities to really work differently with trusts is a, a worthwhile endeavor
0: yeah, I completely agree. And in your experience in, in working with people who are in this position uh, and are perhaps either looking at trust or a trust has been established and you're looking to, to discover the purpose of it, presumably you spend time with them understanding what. So in, in the case of the, the person who gave us a case study,
1: mm.
0: where there was a lack of financial literacy, it's it's understanding the language that they're communicating with you and saying okay how do we translate that into something that the trust can then actually do so in your case it was the charity that her eyes lit up and and you um, spotted that but again I think it's something as families to be aware of particularly if it's intergenerational is that what each of you say using the same word might mean something different to each of you and having those conversations is as important as any when it comes to the purpose of a trust
1: yeah, definitely. And so, so legal jargon becomes very challenging. And the the role um, of this trust advisory council really does allow to have, uh, allow somebody to have conversations on a very different level. So another example in that same family scenario, was one of the things that I would do in that capacity was make sure that I sat down with each of the beneficiaries on a regular basis and just find out what was going on in their life and one the oldest son actually who well I'll come back to him with another example but he he had two two kids and one of them was going to post secondary school and I said well the way the trust is set up your kids are actually also beneficiaries of the trust so as you know because I'd had this conversation with the, the, uh, the three adult beneficiaries and the mom about what the purposes of the trust were. So, so the, I'll call them the kids, but the kids knew specifically what the, benefic- the purposes of the trust were. And so, so I said, well, your son's going off to post-secondary. And one of the purposes is to encourage financial literacy. And, and he's a beneficiary of the trust. So let's can you ask him to prepare a budget for the upcoming year, his tuition and his, you know, cell phone and his books and gas and whatever, whatever else it is. If you need help doing that, then I'm here to support you on that, but prepare a budget doesn't have to be in any particular form. And then I will take that to the trustees. And at this point now, the trustees were actually the mom and the daughter were named as co-trustee. That's what they, they decided and the, and the son was a director with mom of the holding company that owned all the assets. So anyway, he went back to his son. They prepared the budget. They brought it to me. I presented it to the trustees. And I said, this is where in the trust, he's a beneficiary. This is your duty as a trustee to consider this request. These, this is the purpose of the trust that we're trying to fulfill here you know i feel that this is a reasonable budget and i would encourage you to you know have a look at this and recommend and and that you pay the the this amount out to further this beneficiary's education and we've done this financial literacy piece and of course they were delighted they were delighted to do that and so that would have been a real missed opportunity all the way around and so you know the obviously the grandson was blown away that that was super helpful for him and and the 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 daughter learned about trust and being in you know being a trustee and and what that meant and and reinforcing that fiduciary duty as well as the mom but the dad or sorry the the son also learned right in that process and we don't have those kind of conversations typically in mm-hmm.
0: the context of a trust yeah and i th- i think that's a really good point is around the, the conversations that need to be had, particularly in those circumstances and, and the example that you utilise. One of the topics that we've covered historically on the podcast when it comes to family governance is a family charter, which I know you're um, familiar with. Do, do you have similar non-legally binding, but sort of morally binding documents when it comes to the purpose of the trust? Is it something you would document and continue to review and go over with those that are directly impacted by that?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for asking that. I ideally would be introduced before the trust is settled, and that would be an opportunity then to incorporate those concepts within the trust deed. So actually, to frame the the role of a trust advisory council, because it could it could be multiple people, right? And and the purposes of the trust and the role of the trust advisory council in helping to fulfill the purposes of the trust. Often, that's not going to be the case because the trusts are already in existence. So it could actually be embedded in a family charter, depending on where the family is at with that process, or uh, a separate document that would exist. And it wouldn't have to be particularly complicated. It doesn't have to be a big long, a big long, you know, legalese document. In fact, plain language is is absolutely the best way to approach this.
0: And I think part of the additional benefit of the Um, Trust Advisory Committee is the potential to help mitigate any form of conflict or tension between beneficiaries. If there are, you know, potentially different views on certain things, and if there is just an awareness that this trust exists, but beyond that, there's not much, as you say, the kind of annual return process of signing and and then moving on. Having that means that there could very well be unanswered questions or assumptions being made by anybody within that process. And so I would imagine an, an additional benefit is that it allows people that forum to discuss what's going on and ask the potentially silly questions that they wouldn't necessarily have anyone else to ask.
1: Yeah, there, I mean, there's, there's a, uh, another, again, from that same, same scenario, but this, as I mentioned, the trust and the wills and the powers of attorney, et cetera, are being done at, at the same time. And the, the mom wasn't fussy about the second son's second wife, the youngest son's second wife. And she was going to give the oldest son and her daughter everything outright, but put the youngest son's inheritance in a trust. And you can imagine how awkward that would be to find out if none of these conversations have been going on with everybody in the room. So we did have this opportunity to have everybody in the room. And I, I was there and I, with the lawyer to be able to respond to the actual legal, you know, considerations. And we went through the the, the trust and then went through the wills. And when we got to the part about the trust, I, I asked I uh, asked this, the this son, I said, how, how does that make you feel? And he said, well, ac- actually, I feel pretty uh, uncomfortable with that, like that my siblings are going to get their, their inheritance outright. And so we're all sitting around the table, right? So we're able to have this conversation proactively in the context of the trust, with the context of in the context of the wills. And, and I said, I asked him, I said, well, how are your wills set up with your wife and your, and your kids? And he said, well, we actually have them in, in trusts for the kids because they're second marriage. And I, and I said, well, you know, can you, can you relate then to your, your, what your mom is concerned about potentially, given how you've set that up and it didn't take them long to connect the dots. Right. And so it just diffused that whole thing right out of the gate so we were able to have that conversation that that could have been a completely different dynamic right if that was revealed after mom after mom had had died so yeah. yeah very very different type of engagement with conversation around the whole big picture
0: yeah and and not not just in that scenario but if something like that is found out and there is That there's only perhaps the family or siblings to be able to to go and raise that with it's difficult not to get emotional about that kind of thing and potentially feel personally attacked rather than it being a reflection of in this case modern life and and how um, families are, are made up and so having the advisory committee available kind of diffuses that and and allows it as a well, let, let's just ask the question. Let's not get personal about it. Let's not, you know, sibling one attack sibling two or mum or whoever it is that's making those decisions. So again, very useful from that perspective.
1: Yeah, I, and I can, if you have time, indulge me. I'd share another example, in that, that same family. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, she was in the very early stages of of, you know, losing her mental capacity. And as a couple of years passed, uh, her dementia was becoming more of a, more of an issue, and and the kids were starting to say, you know, we're we're, we're finding it a little bit harder to have some of these conversations with with mom, and the the son was the oldest son was a director with her in in, in this company, so we had we had a conversation about activating the power of attorney voluntarily. and again, having to get the lawyer involved in, in this. And this was going to be a pretty sensitive conversation, obviously, because the mum really, you know, felt like she wanted to to maintain control. And as you know,' we're, we're getting into the stages of dementia that you know that becomes a little bit more, I'll say aggravated, I guess, mm-hmm. probably the best word. But what had happened was in a pri- in a prior year, I have recommended that the, the trust distribute $100,000 to each of the three kids. And I picked that number for a number of reasons, including the financial literacy goal. And, you know, if we're going to give them, if they're going to be getting all this money down the road, let's give them a big chunk of money so that they can start investing that and we'll see what they do with it. And that'll, you know, help help us assess where they're at, et cetera. And what was interesting was, and so the mom agreed, and and so the trustees agreed and ma- made the distribution. So the the mom had you know, signed off on the director's resolution for the the dividends. The dividends had been paid up to the to the trust, and the trustees had now made their resolution to pay this out to the beneficiaries. And the one son who was who was actually going to be coming on as director at, when the power of attorney was activated, he said, "I don't want the money." And, and I said okay well if IBM declares a dividend you can't say I don't want the money so I mean a huge learning right yeah. and I said, you know, because you people don't understand. They don't understand that the dividend gets declared down here, then it goes up to the trust and the trustees, and then you know how the money flows and where it flows to, et cetera. So it was a huge, huge learning opportunity for him to go through that process. And but what was interesting was when I asked him why he didn't want the money, he said because mom's always been kind of weird about money. And at this point, we'd been working together on this trust for a couple of years. And I said, well, you know, look back over the last couple of years and, you know, if you can wrap your head around the purposes again that we've talked about, the purposes of the trust, et cetera. And he said, "Okay, well, let me think about it. And because I said, the options are you take the money and you give it away, you can give it to your son, you can do whatever, but the, the, the money is coming to you, you uh-huh. can donate it to, you know, to charity, whatever it is that you want, but your mom and you know, the purposes are financial literacy, philanthropy, and living a good lifestyle, not an extravagant lifestyle. So he came back, you know, a couple of days later, and he says, Yeah, okay, I get it. I, I I'm comfortable with this. And so having had that conversation, and then now years later, when he was moving into this role of being the director, because mom voluntarily activated the power of attorney, he had been through that process in a very personal way. Mm. He now understood, he understood, you know, the directors, what they do and how they decide to declare dividends, how that then interfaced with the trustee. I had everything set up with the investment advisor so that they knew what times of year big chunks of cash were typically going to come out. We had the private bankers all teed up. So we had a really great collaborative group. And the kids all knew what who that group was. Uh-huh. They met everybody and they had those really great connections. So it's a very again just to really sum up the, the this idea of what I call a trust advisory committee, but really a non fiduciary role, just like you would have a non fiduciary advisory board in a corporate setting, mm-hmm. is is I think a governance idea that needs to be explored more with with family trusts.
0: I agree, and um, I, I think it's a really important aspect um, to it. Not. Not only because it is a complex area with, you know, quite a daunting set of language around it from a layperson's perspective. When you're faced with, I mean, you. Your background is, is professional services and so that language becomes second nature. I've got a background in financial planning and wealth management, so that language becomes second nature. But when when you're approaching this language for the first time and it's being presented with big numbers and by lawyers who you're paying fees to to make sure this is all set up and structured correctly, it can be quite intimidating to make those requests of all What's this actually for? I get that there's tax things and there's legal things and trustees, and, and, but what, what's it actually for? And so I think that's a really important aspect to it. And understanding the purpose from a personal perspective rather than a tax or legal perspective as well is, is great. And, and if people are listening to this and thinking, well, I've already got a trust in place and we haven't had these types of conversations it is the once a year here's how the investments are done here's a bit of paper to sign see you in a year's time kind of thing how would you suggest they start that conversation and understand what it is that they're trying to achieve through the trust
1: I think in 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 plain English they just say you know I'd like to get more out of my trust than this once a year kind of meeting and do you know somebody who can help me do that? Because again, we have to be very conscious of, as on a professional side, who's your client? Uh-huh. And often the, the lawyer is not going to be the best person to do that because their client is very defined. Uh-huh. And, and so having that independent advisor to, to walk alongside the family and act as an interpreter because <laughs> really you know, ha- having the legal background, I can speak that language, so I can speak that language very easily, get the point conveyed to the lawyers, but I can also translate the other way <laughs> back to the family. And, and and so you do play that liaison trans- translator role, but also watching for these, these bigger opportunities to bring the trust to life, to, yeah. as you say, what is the trust? What is the trust for? So really just go to your advisor and say, I, 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 if you're having conversations about governance with, with anybody, just say, you know, I've, I'm interested in my trust and I want to really understand how I can use my trust differently because I recognize that there's a lot of wealth in there. And, and we're focusing on governance at the layers below it, but not, not within the trust itself. And I think it's something I'd like to know more about.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, building on that, it's also a chance to ensure that that opportunity is of what the trust can do for that family is maximised because it could be that they're, you know, it's been set up how it's been set up because that's that's just how it was done at the time. And there might be an, a misunderstanding that that's how it has to remain and that we can't do these things to, to do with philanthropy. And in, in the case of the, the sort of case study you've used today, had that not happened had you not been involved and not had those conversations that 25k a year that was coming out to, to fund a lifestyle would would be very easily covered by some modest growth very modest growth of, of the initial no, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and and then what then what would it have they would have passed to, to the next generation presumably who would have then been faced with the daunting prospect of well what do we do with all this money we didn't know what. Mum wanted to do with it. We didn't know what was important to her. We didn't understand what it meant for the word philanthropy, which I'm getting better at saying, but I still struggle to, to say that. We did a whole episode on philanthropy, and I struggled my way through it. But I've, I've been practising every, every morning. I say it five times so that I get it right. But if they hadn't had that discussion around what that meant for them and then had you as a, as a conduit for being able to do all of that, it could have been an entirely different outcome both for the family as a as a unit but also the trust assets themselves
1: yeah and in fact the family has has on, on numerous occasions thanked me and just you know, this really what we feel so prepared and it's very gratifying to and they're on their own now I, I I'm not involved with the trust advisory council they've got it all figured out and 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 they're carrying on so you know, I'm, I'm here if they need to touch base on something uh-huh. but but they're they're good they're good to go and I just kind of like raising children you know and <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay
0: <laughs> got let them fly the nest at some point yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, fantastic work. and Cindy if anyone in our audience wants to get in touch and have similar conversations or find out a little bit more about what we've been talking about what's the best way for them to get in contact
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So Cindy Radu. So it's C-I-N-D-Y-R-A-D-U. My email is Radu at iCloud.com. Pretty simple. And I've got a small web page. It's Cindyradu.com. So you got Cindy Radu, you've got me.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and we will put um, uh, links to that in the show notes. And it's been an absolute Uh, pleasure talking to you as always thank you for your time and your insights and look forward to catching up soon
1: my pleasure thank you
0: thanks for listening i really do appreciate it if you found the show helpful please consider leaving a review on itunes and remember to subscribe to our newsletter if what i've covered in the show resonates with what you are facing in your own family business i can help I provide consultancy support to family businesses of all sizes. So please get in touch if you'd like to know more. Head over to fanbizpodcast.com forward slash work with Russ. Until next time, take care.